the word must have got out that I'm going to give a topical sermon today. And those that we had have just left. <laughs> We're going to be in Luke 17 this morning. But what a week we've had. I was surprised at our presidential elections this past week. And maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was. But I'm thinking this is an opportunity, hopefully, for common sense to come back to American politics. It did my heart good. It delighted me to see the liberal news media with egg on their face. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was interesting to see their whole tune change as the evening went on. Tuesday night, I went to bed praying, God, your will be done. Wednesday morning, I got up early, and to my surprise, the news stations were declaring Trump presidential elect. And I think that probably surprised him as much as it did me. <laughs> but as a Christian, as a believer, I have great hope, great expectations for our next administration. But I want us, as God's people, to pray that, Do that God will give Donald Trump wisdom in whom he selects for his cabinet, whom he appoints to Supreme Court justices, etc., etc. But I'm not so foolish as to believe the enemies of Christ will surrender their evil platform that they have stood upon for years. I think the gay rights issue will continue. Same-sex marriages, promoting LGB. These folks are not going to take up the banner of righteousness. In the, and I think we get a a taste of it as we see those that are disappointed begin to protest in the different cities and uh, destroy property and so forth. But I certainly believe America has been given another opportunity, a reprieve to honor God and his principles. So I'm rejoicing. I have hope. Before these elections, I had never gathered with fellow believers to pray for God to perform his word and his promises that are given in Second Chronicles 7.14. And as you know, some of us would meet and pray that uh, God would honor our prayers and that he would perform great things on our behalf as we, his people, prayed. Let me read Second Chronicles 7.14. It's such a beautiful charge to God's people. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. 
I firmly believe this election hinged upon God's people here in the United States praying and voting. But my people, the people of God, if they will humble themselves and pray and seek God's face, repent and turn from our wicked ways, then he promises to hear us. And he promises to forgive us. And then he says, I'll heal your land. I look for that healing in America. God in his awesome power and strength, he's shown himself strong on our behalf. And as just one of God's people, and I'm sure you feel this way, I want to be faithful to continue to pray for the Trump administration. And I want to pray for those people that he's going to appoint to positions of power. He's promised to rebuild our military, change our foreign policies, and our future president needs the prayers of God's people, whether he realizes it or not. So let's take a moment and just pray for Donald Trump and his administration. Father God, we don't want to just talk about praying for those that you put in positions of leadership over us. We want to be lifting them up. I pray that Donald Trump, whether consciously or unconsciously, will surround himself with Christian men and women. I pray that a voice of reason would return to the White House. I pray that godly men and women would once again be in positions where they can lead others righteously. We pray for this, Lord. We thank you again for hearing our prayers. We thank you for this election, but we don't want to stop now, Lord. We want to be found faithful. We want to be found seeking you. And we thank you again for hearing our prayers and answering our prayers. And now we ask you, Lord, heal our land. And we pray in Jesus' name. Now for our Thanksgiving message. Luke 17, verses 5 through 10. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But, he will, but will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper? And gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterwards you may eat and drink. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done what our duty was to do. 
In verses 5 and 6 there, Jesus answers the disciples' questions of how to increase their faith. And what Jesus basically tells them is, exercise the little faith you already have. Don't ask for more faith if you're not using the faith that I've already given you, that already is there in existence. Sometimes we hear young people say, and it's not always young people, but Lord, I want to do great things for your kingdom. And I think God says, why don't you just do the things, the little things that are right in front of you and be faithful in the small things and let the big things take care of themselves. I've also heard people say, I want to give more money to, uh, to God's kingdom, but I just don't have the money. I will only say this to you. Whatever you're doing right now, whatever you're giving right now, what makes you think you would give more if you had more? God looks at you right now in the present tense and says, you, do what you need to do for my kingdom right now. And don't look for the blessings before you act upon what God's calling you to do. Now Jesus will turn and he's going to speak of duty and responsibility of servants to masters. Do your duty as servants and employees. That's all a servant is. <laughs> Being content as an employee or servant, not looking for accolades or special thanks. We're not to look for it. God says, be content. Verse 9, does the master thank the servant for doing what he's been commanded to do? Jesus answers his own question there. I don't think so. <laughs> now, we are to show kindness to one another. We're to show appreciation to those that serve. And I certainly appreciate those that serve around here. But please, don't serve don't give your offerings wanting or expecting thanks. Don't do it. For sooner or later, people like myself are going to let you down and not thank you for what you're doing. I prepare for my sermons, believe it or not, and I know they're touching and I know they're inspirational to all of you. <laughs> but I don't expect praise or thanks from you for them. If I depended on the kind words of a sermon well delivered or anything, I would probably quit as being a pastor. I couldn't do it. Because that isn't what motivates me. That isn't what drives me. It's good to hear. And I, when somebody says, oh, you really hit the nail on the head this morning, I get a little embarrassed. 
You know, I'm supposed to hit the nail on the head. <laughs> I'm supposed to be on point. <laughs> and the body of Christ is to serve with an attitude of an unprofitable servant. And we're to serve one another because really that's what God has called us to do. God has never come to me and said, thanks, Don, that was a good sermon. You did a good job. Thanks for your sacrifice. Thanks for your service to me. No, he's never, he's never done that, and I don't ever expect him to. As a servant of God, and that's really what we all are, we're given an opportunity to do something good and worthwhile, something that has lasting good. And here we are. We're nearing Thanksgiving Day itself. We're going to celebrate Thanksgiving here this morning. I say be thankful, be grateful that God allows us the privilege of serving in his kingdom. It gives our lives meaning. We're allowed to do our good works, but they have everlasting benefits. They have everlasting rewards. We will be rewarded for the good deeds done in the body. And our Lord has called each and every one of us to do good works. And then he says, you will be rewarded eternally. Let that just kind of soak in. Let that rest in you a little bit. For God, for him to thank us <clears throat> for our good works would go against him wanting to reward us everlasting. It's poor thinking to say, I want thanks for what I'm doing to the Lord when we will be rewarded for them. That's poor theology. I have heroes of the faith. My heroes of the faith are servants who can play second fiddle and play it well. I appreciate the person that can serve, work behind the scenes, never drawing attention to themselves. They're my heroes. But let's continue in Luke here, Luke 17. Let's look at verses 11 through 19. And we'll see the heart of Jesus here as he continues. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then he entered a certain village, and there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. 
and he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Have to find my water. We don't want to say we hide it from a little guy. <clears throat> These ten lepers, they find comfort in one another. As fellow outcasts, they find comfort in one another. They are the forbidden part of their society. As lepers, their social life is strictly limited to one another. In fact, if you were within 50 feet of a person that did not have leprosy, you had to cry out, unclean. Can you imagine that? Or stay away from me. I'm contagious. That's basically what they had to cry out. These lepers see Jesus, and in one accord, all of them together, they lift up their voices and they cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus hears them and tells them, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they go in obedience, they're cleansed. Now, in Scripture, leprosy is a typology of sin. Therefore, leprosy is not healed, it's cleansed, like forgiveness. Before Jesus came in bodily form 2,000 years ago, there had never been any healings of lepers in the Old Testament between the time of Moses' law until Christ, except for Nahum. Nahum uh, dipped himself in the Jordan River seven times, and he was the only example of healing between, between the time of the law and time of Christ. One man healed of leprosy. Yet God, in the Mosaic law, had a restoration process for lepers, a process unused for 1,500 years. But now, the priesthood at Christ's time is examining these cleansed lepers that Jesus keeps sending to the priest. Go show yourself to the priest and go through the process of being restored into society. Do you notice anything peculiar here? Not one priest that we can find in Scripture. We don't read of one priest coming to Jesus that these lepers have gone to to be restored and say, Hey, what are you doing here? We have never seen this. Not one priest, not one man of God, supposedly, has come to Jesus and said, What are you doing? cleansing these lepers. 
not one priest is curious enough or spiritually awake enough to check out Jesus. I find that peculiar. Maybe, we don't know this, maybe the high priest is given instructions. Stay away from that Jesus person. He might have the high priest, that is. Think about all the leper colonies that were in existence in Israel at this time. If the word would have got out that Jesus is cleansing lepers, those colonies would have been emptied. It raises the question, why is this religious system of the scribes and the priests and the Pharisees silent? Why are they silent about lepers being restored? Maybe they have hard hearts. Maybe the religious leaders do not really want to glorify God. Therefore, we see the cause, the whys, that Jesus had very few good words to say about the religious system of his day. When you read about Jesus and his encounters with the scribes and the Pharisees, it's usually a negative experience. But Jesus, he's also displeased with this group of lepers that he has just cleansed because only one returns to give him thanks. And that one is a hated Samaritan. Not hated by our Lord, but the Jews and Samaritans, they hated one another. One Samaritan, and Jesus takes note of that. The other nine that are cleansed are Jews. Yet they don't return to give thanks. And this Samaritan, when he sees that he's healed, when he sees that he's cleansed, and he returns to Jesus with a loud voice, and he glorifies God. He's not glorifying Jesus as a healer. Or as a prophet. But he glorifies Jesus as God. And that's interesting to see. And the praise and the thanksgiving given by the Samaritan requires Jesus to make commentary concerning the other nine lepers. And Jesus says, we're not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Where's the nine? That, wasn't there nine Jews that I also cleansed? Is only this Samaritan thankful enough to return and give thanks and glorify God? Unfortunately, the question is answered, yes, only the one Samaritan. Only the one hated Samaritan, who the Jews designated as uh, half-breeds, as they were hated because they really didn't worship God as he should be worshipped. But yet we have one Samaritan returning to give thanks. So here we are. 
today, Thanksgiving 2016. Millions of people will celebrate around a Thanksgiving table serving turkey, ham, and so forth. How many will give thanks and glorify God for his goodness to them? Do this for me. Please do not call it Turkey Day. Oh, that term bugs me. It, it sticks in my craw. <laughs> we have so much to be thankful for. And I've tried to go over a little bit. I think, I think God has given us a reprieve in our election process. I really do. I want to be faithful as one of his people to pray for the current administration to come. But... Uh, I think he's given us a reprieve. I thank God for that reprieve. If you were anything like me, I was beginning to wonder, has America sent away her day of grace? You know, those kind of conversations, that kind of thinking. But as we celebrate Thanksgiving, simply be thankful for God, for his goodness to you as a person. And we read in the last verse, verse 19 there, we hear Jesus say, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Being thankful, giving thanks, is an act of faith. And that's what I've perhaps never seen before. Your faith has made you well. An act of faith in the eyes of God is a beautiful thing. Jesus takes note of the one Samaritan that would give him thanks. He condemns the nine who would not give him thanks. So as God's people... Be full of faith and thanksgiving, a way of being faithful to God. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand and we'll close in prayer. Father God, I, I personally want to thank you for the outcome of the elections. Lord, we don't know for sure what kind of president Trump will make, but, Lord, we want to be praying for him. We know what it's like to uh, be under democratic rule with abortion and the gay agenda and all that. We know what that's like, so we give you thanks that you have saw fit to give us a president that doesn't support all of that. Lord, grab Donald Trump's heart. Draw him to yourself. Lord, uh, let him choose men of God to surround himself with, whether or not he even realize it. Let us, your people, be praying about these decisions that will go on in his life as he picks his cabinet. Then as he goes about administrating uh, foreign policy and all these different things that he'll be caught up into, 
Lord, we know there will be naysayers. We know there will be those that uh, oppose him. But, Lord, we pray that he would rule in righteousness. Again, we ask you, grab his heart. May he surround himself with godly people, godly men and women that will consult you in prayer before they enact laws upon us. We pray for this, Lord. And, Lord, we also thank you for the good life we get to live here in America. We're blessed, Lord. You have chosen to put your blessings upon us as a people, and we want to thank you for them. We thank you, Lord, for America is well-fed. We're not a hungry nation. We're, we're blessed in that way. We don't have to worry about where our next meal is coming from, Lord, like many parts of the world. So we rejoice that there's plenty of food here in America. But, Lord, we don't want to take our blessings for granted. We want to be giving you thanks for your goodness to us. I thank you, Lord, for this body of believers. Thank you for those that just couldn't be here today, Lord. Watch over them. Take care of them. And may we be a body, may we be a church that serves you as unprofitable servants, knowing that you are our great reward. We pray for this, Lord. So be with us. Bless our time together as we enjoy a meal together. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.